book of Colossians chapter 1. And while you're finding your Bibles, just curious, how many of you drive some distance to get here? How many of you drive more than five miles? Just curious. Wow, lots. Okay. How about more than 10? 15? 20? 25? 30? 35? 40? How far are you, 40, how far, how far are you going? Oh, well, woo, awesome. Okay, we are reaching out to New York here. Uh, we want you to know we're glad you made the trip. You got started probably a couple days ago, huh? Awesome. Yeah, it's, we've got folks coming from West, Gatesville, Byron, uh, Belton. We have folks traveling a long ways. And when, when you travel to church, uh, you probably have a clear idea of how you're going to get there. And if you don't, you, got, you pull out your phone, you got a little GPS deal going on, and it'll tell you what you need to do so you can get where you need to be, right? That's kind of how it works. We understand that. If you're going to get somewhere, you have to have a destination in mind, and you've got to have a determined route on how you're going to get there. That's true whether you're driving somewhere. I mean, when you're driving somewhere, you don't just like, well, every time the song on the radio ends, I take a left turn, right? Do you ever do that? Every red light means afterwards I make a right turn. No. You have a clear idea of where you're going, how you're going to get there. It's true uh, in our military. When we go, they have an established mission. They're trying to accomplish it. They don't like, you know, we'll just wake up and see kind of what we feel like doing. No, they have a clear objective in mind. It's good in business. If you're involved in a business, you probably have a plan if you plan on staying in business, right? And your job is to execute that plan. Uh, If you've ever been to a sporting event or you've played sports, you know, though at times it may not look like it, that you have a plan. You have a play that you're trying to run. Now, you have a defense that's trying to disturb that, but nonetheless, you have an objective. You have a play that you're trying to run. You have a plan on how you're going to win. That's true, uh, like if you're ever involved in music or you go and hear a symphony or orchestra. Do you know that they're not just like, well, I'll play here, and this guy or gal decides to do this. No, they actually all have the same piece of music. And lo and behold, they've been working really hard to learn that music, and they got a little conductor up there, and he's doing this sort of thing to make sure that everybody's staying with the music and playing what is written. You know, we know that there is a plan for everything, except the one area perhaps that's most critically important, and that is in the church. If you ask most folks, most Christians, hey, what, is, what exactly are you trying to accomplish at the church? What is, what is God trying to do? What's, what's your church really about? Uh, that is a question that leaves a lot of people almost speechless. And they're going to say, well, uh, you know, we've got a lot of programs, and it's as if what the objective of a church is is kind of like the same idea of like a juggler in a circus. You just try to keep as many balls going as possible, you know, and like, oh, and it gets, gets crazy, and you've got a lot of things going on. Is that really what God intends for his church to do? That they just try to keep a lot of things going and a lot of people happy? And that's church. That's our goal. Is that it? We need to be crystal clear on that. First of all, let's, let's begin by what is the church? You know what the church is? The church is the body of Christ. The church is those people who have come to a saving knowledge of Christ, they've entered into relationship with him, and they are growing in this relationship, and they're doing so in the context of community of other believers. So Christ is the head, and the church is the body. That's how it's supposed to function. Christ, the head, sends signals to the body, and the body actually accomplishes what the head intended. 
And you know that from own personal experience. This is how it's supposed to work. Your head, right, sends signals to your body as to what you do and how you move, right? If your body is functioning somewhat independently of your head, you've got some serious problems, right? You've had lots of really embarrassing moments. You've done really crazy things. Why? Because somehow things aren't right. If your body is non-responsive, like let's say your right arm doesn't work, it's not responding to the signals from the brain, you might have paralysis. That's a, that's a condition that, that needs to be addressed. And you need to know that if your body is severed from your head, that you're dead, okay? Because you, you're meant to be critically in tune with what's going on up here, and that's how your body's supposed to function. Well, guess what? That's true for the church. God intends for us to receive the signals from Christ that we're honoring him, revering him, respecting him, listening to him, responding to what he wants and what he's trying to accomplish. So what is, what is Jesus trying to accomplish through his body? What is his purpose? What's the mission? Well, it needs to be crystal clear. If it's not, there's going to be a great degree of chaos and wasted energy and wasted money. That's why God has made it, spelled it out in Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29. This ought to be almost home base for every Christian and especially every church because this is what we're supposed to do. You don't have to make it up. You don't have to invent things. Christ the head has already established this is what I want accomplished. And it really is Paul's personal mission statement. You find it right here, Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 28. Let's read it. We proclaim him, speaking of Christ, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete or fully mature in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. This personal mission statement of Paul is really a restatement of the great commission given to us by Jesus. Remember when he said, I want you to go and I want you to make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them and teaching them to observe all that I commanded you? That is what Paul is saying here. We have a mission, and that mission is this. The church's purpose is to proclaim Christ. Notice what he says, verse 28. We proclaim him. The church isn't about a philosophy or a code of ethics or certain things that we do. The church is about a personal relationship with Christ, that you are literally walking with him, you know him, you are trusting in him, and so we proclaim like a herald, we declare not a system, not rules, not regulations, not a philosophy, but a relationship with the living God found in Christ. Many times people think that salvation is kind of like the equivalent of buying life insurance. And you're like, oh, that sounds like a pretty good idea, you know, and so uh, I'll sign here, pay a little bit of money, and I've got my life insurance. And then when I die, that's going to become a really big deal. Many people treat salvation like that. Oh, at some church, I raised my hand, or I filled out a card, I went forward at some sort of deal. I, I responded in some sort of kind of way. And all it is that God's interested in is that I believed, or at least at one point in Jesus. And then when I'm dead, some pastor is going to make a real big deal out of that. Kind of like I got out my get out of jail free card. Now, Actually, it's about entering into a lifetime and eternal lifetime relationship with the living God. You see, Jesus Christ is the source of salvation. If you really want forgiveness of sins, you want to have the security of eternity with him forever, you know where that begins? 
by you trusting in Jesus, turning from self and sin, trusting in Christ. Christ is our source of righteousness. Remember, as we're going through the book of Romans, God declares us right with him when we believe in Christ. And Christ is also the source of strength, spiritual empowerment. That is the beauty of Christianity. God himself literally inhabits his people. He actually, like it says in Galatians 2.20, it's Christ lives in me. Remember in Ephesians 3 where Paul is praying that you'd be strengthened uh, through his spirit in the inner man. And he says in Ephesians 3.17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Christ literally lives within his people. And if you want to see it in the book of Colossians, just back up two verses. In verse 25, Paul is saying, I am preaching the word of God. Why? Verse 26. That is the mystery, and a mystery is something that has not been previously revealed, which has been hidden from past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints. What is this great revelation? Verse 27. To whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, non-Jewish people, which is Christ in where? You, the hope of glory, that you experience the joy of the living relationship. So the purpose of the church is to proclaim Christ. We got one message, and that message is about Jesus. But notice what the text says, Colossians 1, 28 and 29. We have a mission, and it, it's pur- the purpose of the church is to proclaim Christ, but it is also to present every person mature in Christ. Look at what he says admonishing every man, has the idea of calling to mind a correct course of action, even confronting when someone's off course, confronting or admonishing every man, teaching every man, imparting positive truth with all wisdom so they have skill for living so that we may present every man or every person complete, teleos, in Christ. That, that word complete, teleos, has the idea of fullness of maturity, that you are full-grown, fully mature, that is the Christian mission. That is what Jesus intends for every single person, is that you come to truly know him and that through the working of his spirit, he actually over time develops you where you're fully mature. It's very much like parents. So one of the great joys, struggles, uh, sometimes the most painful, sometimes the most exuberating aspects of life is parenting, right? And yet what happens is you, it starts off and you, and you have this brand new little baby and at first you do everything for them except breathe and digest their food. But you have to feed them everything. They can do nothing by themselves, right? But then they start growing and, and developing, you know? And it, it is really cool. And you get super excited. I remember our first one, Ashley, and I was so intent to capture the first moment that she rolled over. And so I had one of those video cameras and I was always like, it's going to happen. So I kept videotaping, but of course it never did when I was. We once tried to watch that video. It was so painful and we've never tried it again. It's like, ugh, she's just laying there like this. I'm like, okay, Ashley, come on, roll over. And it's never happening. But why? It's so cool to see your kids develop and, and then they roll over. And then next thing you know, then they can start crawling. Do you remember that? And then they're like balancing themselves. And when they start walking, when they get mobile like that, like your whole life changes. 
And they can go from there. They can start talking. They can start, like, you can start giving them food out of, like, a little baby food jar. Remember that? And you start feeding them, and they're eating, and they're taking next steps. Pretty soon they can ride a bicycle. They're communicating, and they're actually having sentences. And then they can, like, ride a bike, and they can shoot a basket. And they, by the time they're 13, they're actually starting to pick out their own clothes and dressing themselves. And, I mean, it's just... Okay, so, okay, all right, uh, so some of us are earlier and later. Okay, and it's like, it's happening, right? And they are going to school, and they can take classes, they make decisions, next thing you know, they're driving, they got a job, and they're like, whoa, they're developing right before you. Sometimes it seems like they're never going to grow up, right? And then other times it's like, what in the world happened? I remember when I was doing this, holding you in my hand, and now you could beat me in a wrestling match, so I'm not wrestling you anymore. What's going on? Your kids are maturing and developing, and you want that. Does, do any of you really want your, your child to stay at age two? Oh, they could physically grow up, but man, not mentally or emotionally, socially. No, I, I love age two. Age two is a wonderful time, right? Okay? But no parent wants your kid to stay at age two. In fact, if they are, something's wrong, right? There's no laughing matter, and we're dealing with doctors. We've got to figure out what's going on. Something's not right. You need to know that God has the same intent for you. You are his children. He intends to bring you to the fullness of maturity. He doesn't want you to stay at age one or two, cute as though it is. You know, you're throwing around, throwing temper tantrums, spitting your food all over the bed. I want you to become fully mature in my son. That's what this is the mission of the church. That's why it's spelled out here in verse 28. You know, we love to see maturity in our own selves, in the lives of our people. And I, I tell you, I hate seeing immaturity in me. Don't, doesn't that bother when you see it in yourself? We don't, we don't like that. So God wants us to become mature, where we have stability, we have skills, that we can function in a, a Christ-like way, that we're becoming like Jesus. We're learning to depend upon His Spirit. And so He wants us to do that. And Paul says, you know what, in verse 29, I have given myself fully for this purpose. I want to see every person, which tells you that every single person has the potential to be fully mature. Did you know that? It's not like, well, maybe a few of us might arrive. No, every one of us is to come fully mature. And Paul says, verse 29, for this purpose also I labor, I'm giving myself, I am striving, agonizomai, I agonize, but I do so according to his power, which mightily works within me. Being involved in seeing people come to the fullness of maturity is difficult, very messy work. It's like parenting, you know? Sometimes you don't see progress. Sometimes you're not doing so well yourself, and, it, and like, but you keep giving yourself, and sometimes it literally wears you out. But yet, that is the purpose of the church, that people come to the fullness of maturity. So when people ask me, like, hey, what's Fellowship Bible Church like? What's it about? I, say, well, I always look for like a big tree, a big oak tree especially. And I say, you know, it's really, it's like that tree there. You see how that tree has this massive trunk and it's got branches and it's got like a million acorns going everywhere? Well, you need to know that underneath that tree is a root system. About the equivalent size of what you see above ground is underneath the ground. And those roots are drawing in nutrients and water and bringing about all sorts of stability, man. They are grounded. It's why they don't topple over in a windstorm. That's what we're about as a church. We want a people come to truly know Christ, not just know about him, really know him, 
and start sinking deep roots into Christ in a relationship with him and his word, drawing from the riches of his word and from the spirit, and that they're branching out and they're growing in character and reaching out to people. That's what Fellowship Bible Church is all about. In fact, it's our logo. That's simply put what we're all about, Christ and maturing in him. So what does spiritual maturity look like? You're like, man, that sounds cool. We like the idea of spiritual maturity. Just what is it? Could you put it in real practical terms for me to understand what does spiritual maturity look like? And we do so in a very simple acronym for LIFE. Okay, LIFE. L-I-F-E. And we basically take that and put that into our mission statement. To glorify God by living out the life that we have in Christ. And L in LIFE stands for loving God. When you see people that are healthy spiritually, that are growing, maturing, you see a growing love for God. Now, we know quite a bit about love. I'd like you to think about the, think about the people that you love in your life. And for some of you, man, it's like, you just got this massive list of people running through your head. And maybe some of you, you're like, I've got two people, you know, or something like that. Does my pet count? Sure, whatever, okay? You think about the people that you love. What do you do because you love them? Well, you actually like to be with them. You like to be around them. Sometimes you just like to be in their presence. Like, I like just being with my family, right? You don't even have to necessarily do things, although it's cool to, or to have conversations, but you just love being with them. Why? Because there's a covenant-type relationship. You're committed to one another. There's a sense of security, identity. You've got experiences. Well, God wants us to love him. Sometimes people have the idea that, oh, man, God's just tolerating me, okay? I... I am just like about a second away from being completely annihilated. And so there's this idea of a, an unhealthy fear of God when God really wants you to rest in the fact that he unconditionally loves you. Yeah, he knows we're big messes and we're works in progress. I've got far more failures than I have successes. God knows that. And I think about that too much, and I keep focused on me, that could drive me crazy, right? Make me like, I'm going to go into a hole, right? But when I think about how much God loves me, and I can never be separated from that kind of love, boy, that, that gives you a freedom. You can overcome your failures. You can move through them, because you do so in the context of loving God. You see, loving God looks like this. It's like having a heart that wants to honor Him. Just like when you love people, you talk to them. So you, you talk to God. Here's something that uh, I have found to be really helpful. It's just being still before God. For several months, I've just tried to begin my day being absolutely still before God. Read a little bit of scripture and just being still, loving being in his presence, thinking about how much he loves me, resting in that, in his goodness, and in his sovereignty, especially in the things that I can't understand. But you learn to love God. You, you spend time in his word. You learn to give. You learn to talk to him. You learn to wait on him. And remember when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment of the law? Remember when he was asked that? He said this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. You literally engage everything about you in the love of God. That changes how you go to school this week or to work. You do so loving God with everything about you, thanking him, loving him, and that's what we're to do. You see, when you find a person that is maturing, you find people 
in love with God and growing in that love relationship. And that's what he desires. That is first and foremost because everything flows out of a love relationship from him. And that leads us to our second. I stands for investing in others. We are loving God and we are investing in others. When you find people that are growing in spiritual maturity, they move past self-centeredness to a savior focus that creates an other-centeredness. Remember when Jesus was asked about what's the first and foremost commandment, he talked about loving the Lord your God, heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? But he said the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That you will have a concern, a commitment, a care for the people in your lives. That's what God is after. He's even given his spirit for that to become a reality. Where you go to a place where you'll actually start to serve another person. You pray for them. You put their interests before your own. And an individual and a church that is maturing is that you have people that are like, you know what? It's not all about me. It's really about Christ, his honor, his glory, and me actually being a tool in his hand where the body functions as it should. And so you start investing in others. And that happens all the time. You need to know something about fellowship. If you're new here, you might discover that we are really lean when it comes to staff. We don't have a lot of people on staff. Almost all of the ministry that you see taking place, whether it be on a Sunday morning or throughout the week in our community or branching out from here, it takes place in the people in the church. They've been entrusted to the ministry. When we have our new members class or Discover Life at Fellowship, we tell you, listen, if you are looking for a place where they're going to put the ball in your hands and give you an opportunity to use your gifts and give an opportunity to serve, this is your church. Because no one wants to ride the bench. Do you? No, no, no. You want to be out in the action. God wants you in the action. It's not about you. And this is the, uh, the consumer mentality that's hit American Christianity. It's like, what can you do for me now? Oh, I don't like this about this. Or this, keep me entertained or keep me engaged. Actually, when you grow in maturity, you realize it's about Christ, his honor, his glory, and you learn to invest yourself in, the other, in other people. Do you know who the ministers are? in this church? Do you know who they are? Don't be looking at me. It's not me. It's everyone who truly knows Christ. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 says the pastors, your spiritual leaders, are to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And to the degree that's happening, the degree you've got health, life, and vitality. And in spiritually mature people, they have moved from self-centeredness to an idea I'm going to engage. If you, even on a Sunday morning, we have people back there making sure you've got coffee, you've got rolls, things to eat. We've got lots of people working with our kids. We have a support crew. We have all sorts of ministries in this church, outside this church. But we ask that every single person be involved in at least one ministry, but no more than three. And you're like, no more than three? Yeah, because we have some people, if we don't put a limit on them, it's like, I'm going to do that, 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 that. No, you need health, you need some margin, but you need to be involved in at least one. What is that going to be? If you're not, 2015 is your year to take that step of maturity. And ideally, uh, what happens is you take the initiative. It's not coercion. It's not like, oh, I better do that. It's a Christ-centered movement in your heart. Like, you know what? I'm going to be involved. I'm going to take a next step. Let me assure you, there are plenty of needs. But I tell you, it, it all begins when you start investing. And I am so thankful for the people that have invested in my life. I think back to my very early years as a Christian. God seemed to bring the, the greatest guys to make spiritual investments in my life. 
and he continues to do so. I feel like I am the, I'm the beneficiary of people that have made great investments in me. Oftentimes we call this like discipleship, where someone takes that personal investment. That's what we're to do, all of us. It's maturity. It's what Christ intends for his church, that we are loving God and we are investing in others. Let me give you a third element that you find in people that are growing in spiritual maturity and health, and that is they are following his word, okay? Life, L-I-F, F is for following his word. You see, what happens is the Spirit of God takes this word and he develops us and matures us. And just like children and adults need food to live, so you do. Remember what Peter said, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. You can't grow if you're not eating. Do you know that? Yes. And that is especially true spiritually. We know that physically, we know that intellectually, but that is especially true spiritually. You need food for your soul. Well, what food might that be? God says, it's my word. Jesus made it crystal clear. Man does not live on on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So let me just give you some questions to ask to enrich your personal Bible study. Ask, you know, as you're developing a pattern of being in the Word, maybe call it a quiet time, but you spend time daily or at least every other day taking in some of God's Word, ask these kind of questions. Like, what is this passage teaching? What is it teaching about God or Jesus Christ or the Holy Spirit or people, sin or sanctification or leadership or troubles or trials or pain or suffering or the adversary? What is this teaching? And then ask, why is it here? Everything in the Bible God has given for a purpose. So as we, in Christmas, we actually looked at the genealogies. The genealogy of Jesus has a real purpose, and we looked at some of those reasons why. Even to the final statement of the Bible, and in some of the very last words, Jesus makes this statement. He says, yes, I am coming quickly, and then the Bible ends. Why is that there? Well, you ask that. There's a reason. And then you, the third question you ask is, Lord, how do I respond to this? How should I respond? Does this deepen my faith? What do I learn about God? What do I learn about myself, my world, my, my problems, about how I should go about things? But it's the idea that you are growing in the Word. And I want you to know that at Fellowship, that's why we go through this book because we know that people can't mature apart from it. We have God's word on the issue. And so the reason that we're in the word of God is so we get to know the God of the word. But I have some news for folks. It's not about like, great, you come here, we're gonna, I'll study really hard, I'll give you 15, 20 hours diving into the text, and then I'm gonna feed you, try to give you this really good meal, and then we're gonna send you on your way, and hopefully one meal a week ought to keep you alive. You come back struggling in here and we'll try to fill you up again. Actually, I have news for you. We want you to become self-feeders of the word. That you actually come to a place where you are feeding yourself, that you realize the importance of a daily intake of your word. I mean, yeah, it's really cool when you're feeding your kids with the little airplane game, right? Right? Except when you have to go somewhere, right? Then you just take the jar and you're like, just, just eat this, right? But the joy is that when you actually can feed yourself, because that's what you find in spiritual health and maturity, that the word of God is, is flowing in you. It's kind of like you're, you're like a sponge. And what happens with a sponge is that you submerge the sponge like in the water and then you squeeze it out and then the, whatever was in the sponge comes out, right? Your life was like that. Do you know that? You're a sponge. 
And so what is it that you're filling your life and your heart and your soul with? For some people, it's like the internet or the TV. And just... So whatever is coming in there, it starts shaping your values and your attitudes and what you believe about life and reality and what's really important and what you really need, right? Or is it the Word of God? What God says is true and what's right. Whatever it is, you come to a place where you squeeze it out and it's flowing out of your life because you're always taking in and you're always squeezing out. God says, I want you to know the fullness of me. I want maturity for your life. That's why you have the Word. See, God's Word shapes our comprehension. It shapes our understanding and our knowledge of the way things that are, how they really are. And it gives us so much understanding of the dysfunction in our world and the solution to it. God's word shapes convictions, beliefs, attitudes, values about where we come from, why we're here, about God, heaven, hell, morality, ethics, suffering, forgiveness, the need for salvation. God shapes our convictions about where we came from, who created the world, and then it shapes from those convictions come our behavior, our conduct, where we actually live differently as the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and we function and respond differently. That's what God intends for His people. And so what we try to do is we try to teach the Bible. We do not teach fads on Sunday morning. The reason that we're not topical, I mean, we do topics here and there. In fact, today is a topic, the topic of spiritual maturity. What is the mission of the church? But the mainstay is we go through books of the Bible. This is the reason why. So that you will experience the fullness of maturity as God has, wants it through the revelation that he's given us. That's why we go through the word. And let me give you just a final aspect that you'll find with spiritually maturing healthy believers. They are engaging our world. They are sharing the love and the message of Christ. And this happens, what happens is that the the messengers embody the message. And so you literally, you start engaging people right where you're at, in your own home, in your school, at work, in your community. You literally see yourself as an ambassador for Christ. You might go from here and actually be a missionary, whether it's short-term or long-term, but you see yourself as an ambassador of the living God. And really, if you think about it, how did you end up in a church like this anyway? Because someone probably engaged you, right? At one point, we were a non-believer. Maybe we had a parent or a grandparent or a friend or a classmate or someone on our team start engaging us with the reality of Christ and the gospel. Just a couple days ago, I was with a couple college kids, and it was really interesting. I'm sitting there with some of my family, and I'm, I'm meeting the, one of these guys who's brand new to me, and he tells me, he gives his story of how he came to Christ And the guy that led him to Christ in high school was this kid sitting next to him. And they talked about some of the real dysfunction. This this guy had done some bad things that made this a really difficult relationship. But that that guy sitting next to him was willing to overcome and overlook those things and engage this guy in real spiritual conversations and led this young man to Christ. I'm like, wow, how cool is that? And that is spiritual maturity. You find it in high school kids, but God intends it for people of every age that we've got. We're living in the fullness of maturity. It doesn't matter if you're 10 years old, 20, 30. On Christmas Eve, I met a lady who was 101 years old worshiping with us. God intends for us to come to the fullness of maturity. Now, you're like, okay, Grant, that sounds good. But does Jesus really care about 
the direction of a church? I mean, isn't he just happy that people come and, and sing some songs? Does, does Jesus personally really care about, like, this church and where we're going and how we're getting there? Well, I can tell you I have on firsthand information that he does. Now, some of you are like, whoa, this is getting weird. How, did you, how do you know that? Because I have a Bible. And in the final book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, in chapter 1, Jesus is revealed in all of his glory as the supreme Lord of the entire universe. And in chapters 2 and 3, he gives seven letters to seven specific churches, commending them on the things that they're doing well and confronting them on the things that need to change where they are off point and off mission. I can assure you, Jesus is critically concerned about where every church is going and the direction of, what, of how they're going about it. And so that's what we're at at Fellowship. We want people to see the mission clearly. It's like putting glasses on if you can't see so well our context. All of a sudden you got clarity and the mission of our church is right here in Colossians 1, 28 and 29 to see you come to really know Christ and to grow fully mature in him. And that is the mission, to glorify God by living out the life that we have in Christ. And let me give you just four stages of Christ-centered spiritual development. Think back to that tree, okay? Go back to that logo, okay? It all begins like when you're starting, okay? So this is beginning a relationship of trusting and walking with Christ. You're trusting in him, you believe in him, and so you're starting. You're like a little sapling. It's like, bloop, you're out of the ground, right? You have a very little root system. It's like, please don't step on me because I'm just getting started. That is like a brand new Christian. But from there, then you start growing, and you actually become like a small tree. You're starting to develop your spiritual life, and you're doing so personally, like in prayer, reading the Bible, maybe learning how to share your faith, giving, and you're doing it in the context of community. You're with other believers. You're now a part of a church. You're, you're growing. You're establishing relationships. You're learning. You're growing. You're learning how to worship. And what happens is, is that you start growing, and then the natural growth of a tree, if you've ever kind of observed this, is that you go from growing to a place where you actually become a pretty decent-sized tree. A third category, you actually start investing. We're a place where you actually are intentionally contributing to the spiritual development and well-being of others, whether that be sharing your faith or being involved in a ministry or working with kids or, or being involved in a fellowship family, maybe leading one, but you're, you're taking an active role, okay? It's not passive. It's like, no, you know what? The goodness and the joy of the Lord is so good. I want others to experience him like this. And so you take these next steps where you're investing. It's like you're a large tree. And then a final stage is you just, this is just in humility, helping you kind of actually gauge where you might be is where you're actually discipling, where you're intentionally developing a Christ-centered, reproducing disciple of Christ, where you are taking time, it's over a series of months or maybe even a few years, where you're helping them grow, develop, mature with this idea that what I'm doing with you, you will continue. It is the pattern that Jesus gave us of making disciples where you're developing leaders who will go and return and do the same. And so that is what maturity looks like. And it's at various stages at fellowship. We've got brand new believers. We frankly have people that do not know Christ that come here often because they're investigating. We're glad you're here because we want you to come to a place where you initially start believing and you grow to the fullness of maturity where you're literally pouring yourself out in the lives of other people. At Fellowship, we're not focused on programs. You know what we're focused on? We're focused on developing people. Why? Because that's what Jesus is about, that we're all about the fullness of maturity. 
And so like a hunter calibrates his gun, that's what we're doing this morning. We're getting that sight, that scope. We're getting it set in. We're getting it fixed on the target of seeing people come to fully know Christ and growing fully mature in him. It's like a pencil. You know how when you use a pencil, it like it all of a sudden gets dull and then you can sharpen it. And I, when I was a kid, I loved sharpening a pencil. You know, now we have the ones where you just stick it in. But remember the ones where you're like, so cool, you can just grind your whole pencil down. But you get like this really fine point. That's what this text does. This is what the Lord wants us focused on. Plato said, a country cultivates what it honors. This is what we esteem. This is what identifies us. All the ministries of our church, they're all intended to fulfill the mission that Christ has given us. And that is this, to glorify God by living out the life that we have in Christ. It's a life of loving God, investing in others, following his word, engaging our world. What we want, though, is this to become part of the DNA of every single person. See, the vision of this church is that we would have literally hundreds of people that are growing in the fullness of maturity, worshiping God, loving him, investing in others, taking his word seriously, and engaging our world all to the glory of God, where we esteem and value maturity, and we're patient with one another in this very messy process of maturity. This is our vision. And it's, if we don't, if we're not on target, if, if we feel like, no, I don't really understand what God has for me, then we're going to settle for just keeping people busy and trying to keep them happy. There was an event that took place in 2004 in the Olympics. There was an American sports shooter. His name is Matt Emmons. You're probably familiar with him if you're involved in shooting. And, and uh, this guy is awesome at what he does. In fact, he shows up his first Olympics in 2004. He won, he won a gold medal, and he was well on his way to winning his second gold medal in the 50-meter three-position rifle event. In fact, all he had to do was hit the target. He was so far ahead. He didn't have to hit a bullseye or anything like that. Just hit the target. No problem. He gets up there, confidently shoots, and shoots at the target. Should have registered a score of 8.1, but like no score appeared. And he's like, what in the world's going on? It's like, I think broke here at the Olympics or something like that? And the judges are all really puzzled, and then they all confer together, and they break out, and they made this statement that it was an extremely rare, rare mistake in elite competition, but apparently Matt shot at the wrong target. He was in... Uh, he was in, standing in lane two, and somehow he got focused on the target at lane three and hit, hit it, hit it well, 8.1. And so they said, no, you got a big zero, no score. And Matt, who should have been standing, getting his gold medal, his next gold medal, set him on the medal stand, he was in the grandstands, and he had to watch. Why? Because he shot at the wrong target. At Fellowship, this is the target because it is right from the word. The mission is to glorify God, to literally exalt him by living out the life that we have in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you so much for the clarity of your word. There doesn't need to be confusion or even chaos. There is clarity and conviction. We can have courage because we have your son. And so, Father, I would pray that if there is someone here who's never trusted Jesus, that through the preaching of your word and even the conviction of your spirit, they would see their need to do so now and would simply pray with me and say, Lord, at the beginning of this year, I turn from myself and my sin, and I see it, and I also see Jesus, and I trust in him as my Savior.
And Father, for all of us who do know your Son, Lord, may this be a year of tremendous growth. May we value and treasure you. May we see you at work in our lives in such a way that we take these steps of growth and maturity and that our church would be everything you intended. This we ask, God, only you can do it, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.